Good morning. So the first part of the reading today comes from Isaiah, starting at chapter 9, and we're going to start at um, verse 1. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honour to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of the battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And then we're going to go over to chapter 11, starting at verse 1. So chapter 11, verse 1 of Isaiah. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious." Oh, 
Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as you know by now, my name's Matt. And uh, yeah, I'm really sad to uh, be finishing up here at TAC, but it's great uh, to have the privilege, the joy of opening up God's Word uh, one more time with you all. And uh, it's a great, great series we're starting, Advent, which means we're close to Christmas, right? And I'm wondering, as we approach Christmas uh, this year, what is it that you're hoping for? Perhaps Christmas itself is the thing you're hoping for. You know, the chance to open presents, to eat lots of food, to sing carols, spend time with family and friends, put up a Christmas tree, all those fun things. If you've already done it, you're too early. (laughs) December 1st is when you're allowed to do that sort of thing. (laughs) That's my Grinch coming out. Maybe as we approach Christmas this year, you are hoping for something, nothing to do with Christmas, but now the Socceroos have won last night, you're hoping for a World Cup victory. That might be a false hope. (laughs) Maybe you're hoping for a rest, just to end of another big year, you're tired, you just want to switch off from your responsibilities and have a break. Perhaps you're hoping for a fresh start as the new year comes, for something to change in your life, for things to improve. Maybe you're not just hoping for that, but you're longing for it. Maybe you're desperate for it. You see, the season of Advent, it actually has a lot to do with this idea of longing. It's, it's about waiting, it's about hope. It's about the weeks leading up to Christmas where we're meant to anticipate and prepare our hearts for the arrival of Emmanuel, God with us. And when Christmas Day arrives, we remember that God has come to us in Jesus. And so now we let the hope of the Messiah drive us to appreciate Him all the more at Christmas and long for the fullness of his salvation to be known across the world. And so for our Advent Advent series, we're going to work through some different passages in the book of Isaiah. And these chapters, they're going to help us focus our longing on the promised Messiah. I'm hoping that through this series, we'll deeply feel the anticipation of Jesus' return. And as we long for his return, we'll be even more satisfied by the celebration of his arrival. I want us to see that although we may desperately long for and hope for things in this world, that our only hope comes through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. How about I pray as we jump into the Bible together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, that we can read it, that we can understand it and know you better. Lord, help me to preach clearly and faithfully this morning. We pray we'll come away loving you more and wanting to serve you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as we're starting off our series in chapters 9 and 11, I thought it'd be helpful just to set a little bit of context in the first eight chapters of what's been going on uh, for Israel. Uh, And what has been going on is not good. You see, Israel are in a bad place. If you were going to sum up the first eight chapters of the book of Isaiah with one word, I think I would choose the word darkness. Have a look at the final verse before our passage in chapter 8, verse 22. It says, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. This verse is the final word in a section that is very dark, in a book that is very dark and is only getting darker. You see, the nation of Israel, they had been prosperous. They had been a great nation under King Uzziah. 
But now they'd come to a point of stagnation. They'd come to a point of corruption, of pollution, of rebellion. And so a word comes to them from God, a prophecy to Isaiah about the state of their life. And this prophecy is dark. You see, throughout these first eight chapters, Israel have been described as proud, as arrogant. Chapter 1, verse 4, they are a brood of evildoers, depraved children. Verse 13, they are detestable to the Lord. In chapters 2 and 3, you see leaders oppressing the people. Chapter 3, verse 15, why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor? In chapter 5, you see Israel running after indulgences. They call evil good. They call good evil. They deny justice to the innocent. They despise the Lord. It is a bleak, dark picture of what the people are like. They are rebellious and have turned their backs on God. And so God rightly judges them. Chapter 5, verse 25, it said, Therefore the Lord's anger burned against His people. He raised His hand against them and struck them. The mountains quaked and their corpses were like garbage in the streets. It's a terrible image, isn't it? God is reluctantly but rightly carrying out justice for the people's rebellion and sin. A repeated phrase throughout Isaiah is this, In all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is still raised to strike. See, Israel are in a really, really bad place. They were in darkness. The only future they could see was gloom and despair. They would have hoped for this gloom and despair to end, but they didn't deserve to have a hope like that. And they would have known they didn't deserve that either. They have no reason to hope for something good to come They don't deserve a way out. I wonder as you hope for things and long for things, if maybe sometimes you feel a bit like Israel would have been feeling here. Because hope can be a real challenge, can't it? We often feel like there isn't actually much we can hope in. Perhaps you feel like you haven't deserved, you haven't done anything to deserve a hope. Or that the idea of things changing or improving is just false optimism. That in reality, all you can see is gloom and despair. Well, this is certainly how Israel would have been feeling. Yet, as we come to the start of chapter 9, we see a single word nevertheless. Isaiah has just written, Israel, you are wicked, you are sinful, you deserve darkness and judgment. And verse 1 of chapter 9, nevertheless. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Isaiah presents an unimaginable hope. This is insane, right? It's crazy. How is it possible? How can there be a prophecy of a time where there will be light instead of darkness? Verse 3, where there is joy, an oppressive yoke is shattered. This is the hope of salvation. This is where the people will not be under judgment that is coming. Israel, they are so far away from deserving a way out, from being offered a hope of a future where there is joy and light, And yet this is what Isaiah is promising to Israel. 
But what is going to bring about this hope? Who will bring this salvation? Let's have a look in verse 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. A child, a child will bring about this hope. A son, a Prince of Peace. Have a look at how this child is described. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. You see, this is no ordinary child. These descriptions, descriptions of him being called Mighty God, Eternal Father, well, they're clearly pointing, aren't they, to the one who is God incarnate. They can only be speaking of the promised Messiah, the great son of David, the eternal king that was promised back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you keep reading, it says, He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. You see, as you read the first eight chapters of Isaiah, or if you read lots of different parts of the Old Testament, a common theme is sinful, corrupt leaders. Kings that only look out for themselves. Kings that rule unjustly and have caused pain and hardship. And their reigns usually end in destruction. But this promised king, well, he will be just. He will be righteous. He rules over his kingdom and sustains it forever. And as we move to chapter 11, we again see a description of this promised king. In verse 1, he's called a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse being David's father, which again confirms that this child is the promised Messiah, the eternal king. Let's have a look at what makes this king fit for ruling, being on the throne. The first thing we see is that he has the spirit of the Lord resting on him. You see, this spirit, it it means that he will be wise. It means that he has perfect wisdom and understanding. He has the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. See, this king is perfect. This king is fit to be king because he knows God, because he has God's spirit. He knows right from wrong. He knows how to care. He knows how to love. He knows all things, including his people. And he knows who to trust. See, the Israelite kings, the leaders, they trusted in their own wisdom. They trusted in their own strength and they feared man, not God. But this king trusts in the Lord. In verses 3 to 5 of chapter 11, we see the characteristics of this king's rule. And fundamentally, it is characterized by righteousness. This righteousness means that there will be justice for the poor and the oppressed. He won't judge based on outward appearance. He will judge based on the heart. It means he'll be just as he carries out judgment on the wicked. Again, in stark contrast to the leaders of Israel who oppressed the poor, who failed to bring justice, who delighted in evil. This king is perfect, righteous, faithful, A king who is born as a child, but without doubt, 
is an immortal God as well. And finally, we see the effect of this king's rule. And that effect is universal peace. In chapter 9, we saw that one of the titles that this child is Prince of Peace. And here we see what this peace will look like. And it is truly beautiful. Have a read of verses 6 to 9, chapter 11. It says, The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my whole entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Wow, I don't know if you, if you just brush over that as you read it, but what a picture, isn't it? What a picture of hope. A wolf lying down with a lamb, a lion with a fattened calf, predators with their prey seems unimaginable and yet this is what God promises for his people an infant playing beside a cobra's pit I'm not sure about you but it's not something that I really uh, can envision a couple of weeks ago actually we were on holidays uh, in Hawks Nest and we went for a bushwalk and Chloe heard a rustle in in the bushes and we looked over and just a few meters away was a really big red-bellied black snake just slithering away into the bush. As we walked a few meters further along the path, we could see the trail that it had made in the sand on the pathway. If we'd been a minute or two earlier as we were walking, we'd have met it face to face on that path. And I can tell you this, I would not have wanted Elise or Kate to be around for that, let alone playing with a snake, putting their hands in its den. You see, a child and a snake are not meant to be together. That's not what we know. And yet this is the picture we have here. True peace. A peace that is reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, of paradise, where the whole creation is being put back together to how it was meant to be. A place where there's no destruction, where there's no violence, there's no death. There's no relationship breakdowns. There's no fear. There's no problems. Nothing is marred by sin. There's no sin at all. It is a peace like no other. Friends, we have the privilege, we have the joy of knowing this peace. We have the hope of knowing the one who brings the, this peace, the prince who brings this image into reality. You see, Jesus is the child that was to be born. Jesus is the root of Jesse, the son of David, the promised Messiah. He is the king that God places his spirit on. We see that in Mark chapter 1. He is the king that knows what it means to fear the Lord. And he responds in perfect obedience. He's the one who brings light in the darkness. Have a look at John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Speaking of Jesus, it says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the one who cares for the poor and the oppressed. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in the very next chapter, Jesus then fulfills a prophecy from a later part of Isaiah that says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Saviour, and we can know Him. We can have true relationship with Him. We can have this peace that He offers. And friends, we have it because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You see, we are no different than the Israelites in the first eight chapters of Isaiah. We are just as sinful. We are just as rebellious. We have all rejected God one way or another. And so we all deserve the punishment for, of God. We all deserve death. Our hope is undeserved. But nevertheless, there is hope. There is salvation because of Jesus. Our undeserved hope comes through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. As Jesus came into this world to live, as he came into the world as a child, he grew up to live a perfect, obedient life. He was obedient even to death on a cross. The only innocent, perfect human took our sin on his shoulders. He bore the punishment of God's wrath that we deserve on himself so that we may be made right with God, so that we can have forgiveness, so that we can be made clean, so that we can have life. Jesus died and rose to life, defeating death, defeating sin, fulfilling the promises of the King who would rule for eternity on the throne. Jesus rose to life to become the mighty counsellor, the Prince of Peace. And so surely this is what we hope in, right? I imagine this is what you hoped in when you first became a Christian. That through Jesus' death in your place, that you now have forgiveness. That through Jesus' resurrection, you now have life. That you now have light in a dark world. That you now have hope. This is the hope I understood as I heard the gospel explained to me and this is the hope that I keep holding on to as I go out to serve Him. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord, can I say this hope is available to you. Jesus has come. He is the promised Saviour. He has died and risen to life to offer you eternal life to allow you to be made clean, to take you out of darkness and despair into His light and hope. You can have this hope, an undeserved hope, but a beautiful hope through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. If this is something you want to keep looking into, please come and chat with me after the service. Friends, we should never lose our sense of this wonder and hope because it is truly wonderful. It is beyond belief, and yet it is real. It is promised, it is assured in Jesus. 
I think as Christians, it's easy, isn't it, to just do Christmas each year, to hear the same story over and over, to forget what it means for Jesus to come into this world. We hear each week at church, I hope, that Jesus is the King, that He has died and risen. It becomes kind of numbing to us. We lose sight of how amazing a thing it is. We lose sight of our salvation to come. But please, can I encourage you, never lose the joy that this message of salvation brings. Never stop reminding yourself of the hope that Jesus has given us. Never stop clinging to it and letting it shape your life. And keep looking forward. Keep seeing the fullness of this salvation that is to come. Remind yourself amidst the turmoil of life, of the peace that we long for. That time where all things will be restored, where sin is gone, where death and pain and crying is no more. Remind yourself that our undeserved hope comes through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so let this be the thing we hope for this Christmas. Let us join our hopes of this world with the one true hope of Jesus. When life is hard, when things are not the way you want them to be, Keep longing for Jesus' return. Keep clinging on to the hope that we have because of His death and resurrection and pray that this day will come soon. How about I do that now? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus. Lord, it is unimaginable that we have this hope of eternal life. We know we are broken and sinful, that we have rebelled against You. And yet, Lord, nevertheless, you sent Jesus to die in our place. What a joy, what a hope this is. Help us to cling to this hope. Help us to remind ourselves, remind each other of what Jesus has done and of the salvation to come. We pray this in your name. Amen.